0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. In this episode, we are going to look at the single greatest topic for you to think about. What you think about this subject will have a greater impact on your life than any other subject at all. So let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Bible and Life podcast, where we like to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology for everyday life. It's rooted in everyday life. It's explained in the language of everyday life. It's for everyday people like you and me so that we can more fully learn the Bible and live it out in our lives. And I want to invite you just to give me feedback, shoot me an email or give me a message through Instagram or Facebook. In the last week or so, I've had messages asking questions about the end times. I've had uh, messages giving feedback on my last podcast on the sermon we are last week, helping me think through the language I used in ways that I could be much more precise and much more considerate of people of different backgrounds, different cultures, and all of that. I've had messages just sharing with me the impact that the listeners commentary has had on their life and how helpful it has been. I love to hear from you all. So feel free to shoot me a message, shoot me an email in some way, connect with me, and communicate with me, ask me your questions, let me know what's helped and what's not. All right, let's jump into the topic for today. Here's the question that we're going to wrestle with today. And as I said in the introduction, this is the single most important topic in your life. And yet at first glance, this question feels kind of like, well, ho-hum, boring, like, well, come on, that's not the right. Like it doesn't seem that great. But here's the question. The question is, who is God? Who is God? And like I said, at first glance, this question doesn't seem uh, that big of a deal. It doesn't seem like Uh, It's really that hard of a question. Everyone knows who God is, right? We know what someone means when they say, I believe in God and who they're talking about. And yet that's not necessarily the case. In fact, a number of years ago when I was teaching Christian evidences, basic apologetics at Boise Bible College, one of the assignments I had my students do was just interview people that weren't Christians. And the goal wasn't necessarily to try at that moment to convert them. The goal was to really listen to them and understand where they were coming from. And so they would go out with a series of questions, and they would have conversations with co-workers, friends, extended family, maybe people they had met at the coffee shop, and they would just have a conversation about some of these things. And one of the questions was, at least the place to start was, do you believe in God? And if the person said yes, the follow-up question was, what is the God you believe in like? And that was so eye-opening for all of us because what you learn when you ask that question is that there are actually, even though we only use the same word, God, G-O-D, to refer to whoever we believe in as God, there are a lot of different gods that people believe in. They believe in all sorts of different, and maybe just a, a, a energy force, right, that's in the universe and that's their God, or they believe in a God who is more Um, malevolent and benevolent, right? Like he's more mean-spirited and he's a dictator and a tyrant and and they resist him because of that. Or There's there's people who believe in uh, basically like just a good old grandpa in the sky. Even Christian people I've talked to have sometimes had this idea that really God just wants you to be happy. He's just a nice guy and just wants you to be happy. And so it doesn't really matter what you do. Right. Like people have all or some people, even Christian people have the idea that God's out to get you. Like you better stay on your toes because you don't want to mess up. Because if you mess up, God might just zap you. God might just get angry at you and God's out to get you. And it's like people have all sorts of different gods that they believe in. And so when we ask the question, who is God? It's a terribly important question because not everyone has the same view of God that Jesus had. Not everyone believes in the same God that the Bible actually presents. Not everyone believes in the same being referred to by the letters G-O-D as everyone else. We have different pictures of God in our mind. And A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, I started reading him when I was in high school, A.W. Tozer said this, he said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind, my mind, when we think about God, is the single most important thing about us. In fact, uh, A.W. Tozer said in another place that no man can rise higher than his thoughts of God. Like, whatever you think about God, that is going to shape your life in a really powerful sort of way, will affect the way you interact with your kids and raise your kids, the way you interact with your spouse. What you think about God will affect the way you interact with extended family, your next-door neighbor, your co-workers. What you think about God and how you understand who He is and what He's like is the single most important thing about you because it will show up in your life in some form or fashion. And so this question who is God, is a terribly practical, terribly relevant, terribly important question for your life and for mine. And so let's jump into a text that really gives us some insight into who God is and helps us understand the best way for us to know who God is. All right. Uh, John chapter one, it's the prologue to John's gospel. And John begins his gospel with sort of a, a setup. of before he actually jumps into teaching about Jesus. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, there are are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all tell the story of Jesus. The word Gospel just means good news. So these are the books that tell the news about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus largely the same way. In fact, scholars refer to them as synoptic Gospels. Synoptic just means to see with, to see the same. And so they see it the same way. John tells the story of Jesus differently. And one of the major things John does is partly because of the time he's writing and and the audience he's writing to is he wants us to help. He wants to help us see that Jesus is more than just uh, your average, ordinary guy on the street. And so in his prologue, he sets that up for us. So John chapter one, beginning in verse one, the apostle John says this. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so John starts his gospel with these words about this Word. He'll tell us more who he, who he means, the Word is. We learn very shortly that the Word is a way he's referring to Jesus. Uh, but at this point, he just refers to Him as the Word. And it was an appropriate word to use, although I think John infuses it with fresh content. Uh, The word in the Greek and Roman world of John's day, some of his wider audience, just referred to sort of like the first principle, the organizing principle, the organizing mind behind the whole universe, the rational thought and organizing principle that put everything into motion. In the Jewish world, the idea of word could think of the very wisdom of God that was with God when he made the the creation By the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, the Old Testament says. And so they had that idea. But John's going to actually infuse this with deeper, greater, richer content when he uh, unveils who the word really is for us. But notice what he says about the word here in these verses. He says that in the beginning was the word. So the word was there. Whoever this word is was there in the very beginning. Before there was anything else, at the start of all things, there was the word. And the word was with God. So in some way, he's distinct from God, but he's there in the beginning with God. And then John says, and the word was God. And so he's distinct from God in that he could be with him. And yet at the same time, he's also God. That's really important for our understanding of God and for our theology. And then he says he was with God in the beginning. Um, all things, he goes on to say, were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so whatever has come into existence has come into existence through and with the word, this one that John is referring to as the word, all things, all things were made through him, not just some things, not just most things, but everything that has come into being that didn't used to exist and now exist, exists through him, through the word. Um, and then he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. So no matter how dark the darkness gets, it can't extinguish, can't snuff out the light. Now, this is a pretty profound and insightful little beginning to his gospel. But for our purposes, with the question we're wrestling with, who is God? Let me just highlight a few things. There are a handful of things we can learn about God just from these first five verses of John's gospel. One of those things is that God is eternal. Like the word was there in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God. So, In the beginning, before anything was, he was there. And in fact, when you hear that phrase, in the beginning was the word, if you're familiar with your Bible, you might actually hear an echo of another passage. Do you hear it? In the beginning was the word. And the echo comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible begins with the story of how all things came into existence. And it says, Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is intentionally echoing those words so that we we hear that and we put these two passages together so that we we remember that the word was there clear back in Genesis 1-1 at the beginning of all things. And so before anything came into being, he was there with God. Uh, And so God is eternal. God's always been. And though our finite minds have a hard time uh, grasping Uh, eternity past and eternity future, we can't totally get that all figured out. Scripture routinely tells us that that's true about God. God has always been. He has always been. And it has to be that way. If God wasn't there, if there wasn't someone or something that has always been, then there would never be anything because from nothing, nothing comes. And so there has to be something that has always been in order for there to be everything that we see. And the Bible says that something that has always been is God himself. God is eternal. Another thing we can learn from these verses is that God is relational. God's not just all by himself. He's not just alone in the universe before everything exists. That the word was with God, with him, in relationship. And so in some sense, he's He's God, but he's also distinct from God, and He is together with him in relationship, in partnership. In fact, uh, if you're, again, familiar with New Testament theology, we could add a third member to that group, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, Word, Spirit, all together in the beginning, in relationship, in community, that God is relational, um, and that perfect love exists uh, among the members of the Godhead. Uh, from eternity past. God wasn't lonely and that's not why he made the world because he was all alone and lonely. He existed in community, in relationship with uh, uh, father, son, spirit, father, word, spirit together like their own small group in perfect joy, perfect love together from all eternity. So God's relational. Uh, another thing we learn from this passage about God is that God is the creator, uh, that the word was God And all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so God is the creator of everything that exists. Think of that. Just think of all that exists, big things and small things. God made it all, like the the sheer immensity and magnitude of the universe and galaxy upon galaxy, stars and all the the massive amounts of space. Space that presumably feels so empty between all those galaxies and all those stars. And yet God made all of that, that He is he is so immense that he made the immensity of the universe, all the bigness and all the engineering prowess it took to come up with stars and planets and everything that's in the universe. God dreamed all that up and God had the power and the ingenuity to make it. And he made it. And then you think about all the way down to microscopic things, all the small things in our universe that God made. think even like human DNA and the sheer, uh, the sheer brilliance of human DNA. Like, uh, human DNA is such a incredible data storage and retrieval system that one gram of DNA can hold up to catch this, 455 billion gigabytes of data that scientists, computer scientists have actually been experimenting for over a decade with human DNA as a uh, really information storage and retrieval system for computers because it's so incredible. It's so much more brilliant and powerful than any data storage retrieval system that we have invented ourselves. And God made all that. So he's the creator of all that is. And then this this passage also tells us that God is life and light, that God didn't just make inanimate objects, but he had the power to transfer the very life that was in himself to other things. And so he gives life, right? And you read that in the Genesis 1 account that God gives life to all the animals and all these things. So now they become living beings and God did the same thing for human beings. He breathed into them the breath of life and they have life. And it's not just physical life, but God is the source of all life. And so that if you're going to have have deep, true, abundant, lasting, eternal kind of life. It's only going to come by being rooted in God. In fact, that's one of the major themes of John's gospel is that that life comes from God and Jesus now is the source of that life. And he's the one that's imparting it and restoring that life. And that life was the light of men. It's the light that showed them the way to live, that light that showed them what it meant to be human. And so he is life and light. And so just from these first handful of verses of John's prologue, we learned some pretty remarkable things about God, uh, that God is eternal, relational, the creator, he's life and light. And as great as that list is, and as helpful as that list is, you could list off a, a whole host more attributes about God. And just knowing those attributes, as helpful as it is, don't mean you know God. And don't necessarily mean you know exactly who God is. You know a bunch about God, but you don't necessarily know God. And you don't know exactly who he is from that. So learning a list of attributes of God, helpful. But in and of itself, it doesn't fully answer our question, who is God? In fact, when my son was four or five years old, he's always been fairly philosophical and always very inquisitive. In fact, he was that way as a little kid. So he's four or five years old. Uh, I had regular conversations with him at bedtime. So I tucked him into bed on this one occasion, said a prayer with him. And as I was wrapping up the prayer and getting ready to tell him goodnight, uh, Jeff says to me, he says, Dad, how can God hear our prayers when he's not in the room? Well, that was interesting. So I said, well, God is in the room. Well, that led to another question. Well, wait, how can God be in the room when we can't see him? So I simply said, well, God doesn't have a body Well, Jeff began to sob and cry. He was very upset by that because he couldn't understand how somebody could be alive and not have a body and how he wanted to see him someday. And how could he ever see him when he didn't have a body? And it really upset him and really disturbed him. Um, It actually reminds me of another little old preacher's story about a little girl who was being tucked into bed by her mom and dad. And after a few minutes being alone in her bedroom in the dark, she came out of her bedroom and she was scared. She was afraid something might be under her bed or something might be in her closet. And uh, mom and dad took her back to bed, gave her a little kiss, tucked her in, told her she didn't need to be afraid. Mom and dad were here in the house with her and, and God was always with her. Well, that seemed to kind of ease her fears for a little bit. And so they left the room and uh, they started getting ready for bed themselves. And they're in their bedroom. And uh, a few minutes later, a little girl comes out of her bedroom again, and she's all shook up and she's still scared. And she came into where mom and dad were, and she told them that she was still scared and that it was dark in her room and she was afraid. And And mom and dad said, but remember, God is always with you. And she said, I know God is always with me, but right now I need someone with skin on. Uh, And think about that. I need someone with skin on. And here's the thing. When you have these list of attributes of God, eternal, relational, creator, life, light, whatever else you want to add, omnipotent, omnipresent, all these attributes, God as great and helpful as they are. They're so big, so conceptual that they don't always help us know who God is. Sometimes we want someone with skin on. So look what John says in John 1:14. John says, "And the Word, the Word, this one who was there in the beginning with God, the one who was God, the Word through whom everything that exists came into being, the one who gave life to all things, the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that. This word, this this God who was there in the very beginning, who made all things, took on flesh. He put skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is God in a bod. Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what John wants us to see, and that's why he starts his prologue this way. He wants to set it up so that we realize when we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at God, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. In fact, that phrase right there, dwelt among us and we've beheld His glory, again, echoes back to, hearkens back to what happened in the Exodus account. The word dwelt is literally pitched His tent. That God pitched His tent among us, and it's not just a camping metaphor. That the 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 original tent of God, where He dwelt among His people, was what what well, was the tabernacle in the story of Exodus, and God's glory filled the tabernacle um, in the story of Exodus. Well, now in a greater, more intimate, more personal way, God tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent among us, and He displayed His glory in and through Jesus, the Word made flesh. And not only that, John says, as we saw his glory, this is the glory of the uniquely begotten Son of God, the unique and one and only Son of God who was full, not just a little bit, but full to overflowing, full of grace and truth. And in fact, those words, grace and truth, and uh, really echo an Probably the most important passage about God in the entire Bible, at least in the Old Testament. It's a passage where God introduces himself to Moses, and it gives God's own self-description. So when God introduces himself, how does he describe himself? Well, this is what he says. Exodus 34, verse 6. Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, and rich in steadfast love and truth. And John 1.14 echoes that. Do you hear it? Gracious God, love and truth. And here we have in John 1.14 that Jesus was full of grace and truth, that he is Yahweh come to us in the flesh. He is God with skin on, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what is God like? Who is God? Well, the best way to know who God is, is to look at Jesus. In fact, I would say that when you're reading every other part of the Bible and you come to those passages where it makes you scratch your head about God and you're not understanding it, you should read it through the the lens of Jesus. Look at Jesus and let Jesus become the filter that shines light on everything the Bible says about God. Because Jesus is the word become flesh. He is God with skin on. And so when we see Jesus, we see God. When we know Jesus, we know God. That's John's point, is that if you really want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And my suggestion to you, as you want to follow Jesus, you want to, uh, right, you want to know God. This is the greatest aspiration a man can have, is to know God. You want to know God. My suggestion, just by way of spiritual practice, would be to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or read them all. Read the Gospels. And make a list of what is God like. And when you watch Jesus in action, write down what you learn about God. What does he show you about God? When you hear Jesus say things or teach things, what does it tell you about God? What is God like? Look at Jesus and you're seeing God in action. And so read through the Gospels uh, and watch Jesus and then write down what you learn about what God is like from seeing Jesus in action, and seeing Jesus teach, and seeing Jesus interact with people, because when you see Jesus, you're seeing God. The more you know Jesus, the more you know God, and so uh, our best way to understand who God is, is to look at Jesus. And that's really why the Apostle Paul states his life ambition, the most important thing in his life, the thing that drove Paul, the thing he cared about more than anything else. The Apostle Paul says his life ambition is to know Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's the Apostle Paul's great ambition because when you know Jesus, you actually know God. And knowing him is the ultimate source of real, true, lasting life. In fact, John will say in John 17, 3, near the end of his gospel in a story about Jesus, he will record Jesus praying a prayer to God. And in his prayer, Jesus says this, John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so if you want to know life, real life, lasting life, the kind of life God made you for, the best way, the only way to do that is to know God as revealed in Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I'm so glad you joined me here on the show. And as always, just remember that the Bible and Life is a listener-supported show and The only way we're able to make these resources possible and to continue to do this is because of the generosity of people just like you. So thank you to each and every one of you who supports the show. And if you want to donate so that we can continue to make these kind of podcasts and the listeners commentary and other resources available to people, you can do so at the links down in the note below or just go to johnwhitaker.net slash give and you can give right there on that page as well. I hope you have a great week in Christ, and I look forward to talking to you again next week.